Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about Jehovah's Witnesses. How many of you know, know a Jehovah's Witness personally? How many of you have had a conversation with a Jehovah's Witness? How many of you want to have a conversation with a Jehovah's Witness? How many of you are Jehovah's Witnesses? <laughs> so this is relevant to everybody, I guess. Okay, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses are often mistaken for or lumped in with Mormons. Because those are like the two major non-Trinitarian Christian cults in North America, the two biggies. But they're actually drastically different. We have much more in common with Jehovah's Witnesses than we do with Mormons. The founders of the Jehovah's Witness, the founder of the Jehovah's Witness movement did not claim, you got to hear me clearly on this, did not claim to have miracle working powers or special revelation from God that no one else had. Founders of founder of Mormonism did. The founders of the Jehovah's Witness believe in the truthfulness and accuracy and inerrancy and infallibility of the Bible. That's not the same with Mormonism. They add to it. They have other books. So the critical thing is, the critical question is, where did it come from? Well, back in 1870, a man by the name of Charles Taze, T-A-Z-E, Russell, no relation to Mark over here, I assume, slightly different skin tone, uh, was born to Scottish uh, immigrants in uh, uh, New York, Algany, New York, and he was uh, raised in a Presbyterian church, later went to a Congregationalist church, was exposed to some Adventist teaching, and the Adventists at the time were constantly setting dates for when Jesus was going to return, and then they'd shuffle them forward and whatnot. There was a, a group called the Millerites, founded by a guy named Mr. Miller, and in, uh, he predicted that Jesus would come back in like 1843, and so he had his own followers, and then they'd switch the dates and whatnot. So at that time, a lot of people were sort of predicting the second coming of Christ, and Charles Taze Russell was, was in that context, and he became very fascinated with issues of the second coming of Christ. So he formed his own Bible study group, just as you might do. You, know, you get a bunch of friends together, and you start holding a Bible study. But the, the Bible study focused on the second coming of Christ. And it's a great way to you know get people in, because everyone's fascinated with eschatology, right? So he got this group in. And that was in 1870. Well, by 1874, I believe it was, they'd actually formed into a church. And he was appointed the pastor. And then it just grew from there. Now, um, he, he was, uh, I think, as far as I can tell, genuinely interested in trying to interpret the Bible. The problem is he didn't have the tools, the teaching the call, the uh, network, the colleague. Like, he was just kind of his own dude interpreting the Bible for his following. He wasn't seminary trained. Of course, you don't have to go to seminary to be a pastor. But in a good seminary, if you have a call from God, an affirmation from your people, it really does help uh, to go to a good seminary and, and, and receive some training. 
And uh, he did not have that. He wasn't part of like a, a network, an association of churches, a denomination. He didn't have any peers. So he was more or less interpreting the Bible in a bit of a vacuum, but gathering a lot of people really quick. The only person really that challenged him was his wife. And because of that, it ended in a divorce. So he started his own publishing house and he started publishing his sermons and publishing his teachings in a lot of different newspapers. Uh, some other people challenged him and said he was basically a false teacher. There was a guy in Toronto that challenged him, said he's a false teacher, started writing tracts and notes in the newspapers. Back then, they actually could use newspapers for stuff like that. And uh, Charles Taze Russell would sue them, and he'd get money out of lawsuits he had. Uh, he successfully sued a bunch of newspapers for publishing slander, and he worked on an agreement with them and said, basically, I'm not going to take all of the money, but you have to now publish my sermons. So his, ser his sermons went around the world because he basically had these newspapers over a proverbial barrel, and uh, that's how a lot of the information of his teaching spread. And so the movement grew and grew and grew and grew. So he founded a, uh, a periodical. He, he was kind of involved in publishing prior to that. His wife wanted to write articles, wanted to do some own, ser own sermons, she said he was mean. They eventually divorced. Neither of them remarried. Uh, and that sort of was a bit of a scandal in and of itself, especially in the late 1800s. But nevertheless, he, he, he formed a, a periodical. It was originally called Zion's Watchtower and the Herald of Christ's Presence. <coughs> and that later evolved into the Watchtower announcing Jehovah's Kingdom. So this was, would have been like 1884. He officially installed himself as the president of the Zion Watchtower and Track Society. And that building was moved, uh, th that um, ministry was moved to uh, Brooklyn, New York in 1909, and it's still there today. So you might have seen pictures of it. It's right by the, the Brooklyn Bridge. And uh, uh, amazingly, first considering so many years have gone by, they've only had really a handful or so of presidents. So most of the presidents have served for quite a period of time. I'll introduce them to you. There's Charles Taze Russell. So he led the church officially, the Watchtower Society, shall we say, from 1884 to 1916. But when the Watchtower Society started, he already had 14 years in, right? So quite, quite a number of years. And he wasn't actually initially the president of the Watchtower Society. He had an, a guy named uh, William Connolly, who was the president under him for a few years. But then later, whoever was sort of the, the head of the church was also the head of the Watchtower Society. So you might have heard of some of these names. Charles Taze Russell, uh, Joseph Franklin Rutherford. So he was installed in 1916, tail end of World War I, and made it through to 1942. And then uh, he, he uh, grew the, um, uh, the, the, uh, the church significantly. He refused to go to war, and so he was uh, actually imprisoned uh, in 1918 for, not, uh, for opposing military service. And so when he got out in 1919, he was considered like a, a hero because he was a victim, right? A victim for his faith, so he was a hero. So that actually, that event actually helped him. Martyrdom always pushes faith forward, by the way. 
And uh, so he was the guy that started the um, another periodical, which is now known as Awake. You may have received that in your mailboxes. And then Nathan Knorr, he ran the church from 1942 to uh, uh, 1977. It was under his ministry that portions of the New World Translation, that's the Jehovah's Witness version of the Bible, came out. Uh, Frederick Franz, or Frederick William Franz ran the church from 1977 to, to 1992. And then the last couple of guys have more or less been more like administrators. So the early presidents of the church and the watch, the Watchtower Society officially were more like pastor, theologian leaders. The last couple of guys really have been more like CEOs, directors, administrators. So there was a guy named Milton Henschel. He was in from 92 to 2000. And the current guy is Donald Adams. And uh, he's uh, well, I think, well into his 70s or 80s. <coughs> so uh, that's kind of a bit of a history of the church. Basically, Jehovah's Witnesses deny pretty much the majority of historic Christian Orthodox doctrines. So if you name, you can pretty much name any historic Orthodox doctrine, and not all, but most of them they deny. And that's why we call them a cult. By the way, just for the sake of terminological clarity, a cult is not the occult. The occult, these words are often interchanged, but they're not supposed to be. The occult are, are those that worship devils, demons, Satan, a cult, a Christian cult, for instance, is a group that claims to be Christian but denies cardinal verities, multiple cardinal verities or, or core fundamental orthodox doctrines of the historical church, be it Catholic, Orthodox, or Protestant. So let's look at some of these. Uh, as I've already mentioned, the only one that we really agree on is that the Bible is divinely inspired and accurately transmits God's thoughts and wills to mankind. So we're like, oh, we agree with that. The problem is that in the history of the Jehovah's Witness, the Jehovah's Witnesses, some of the things they teach are contrary to Scripture in a quite, in a quite obvious way. So some attempts have been made to uh, clarify that by tweaking English translations of the Bible into their own translation, which conveniently suits their own purposes. Now, one of the most classic examples of that, of course, is, uh, is John 1. So how does John 1, 1 read in our Bibles? Okay, so the word was God, right? <coughs> now, how would you like a little lesson in Greek? Anybody? Okay, I'm going to give you one, whether you like it or not. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to write this verse on the board in the Greek letters, then word for word, put it over into English, and then help you to understand why the Jehovah's Witnesses... Uh, have translated it differently. So it reads as follows. In arcane, that means beginning. Okay, so underneath here you can put in, just very literally. 
beginning. Hain, <coughs> this means was. Ho, logos. So this this is one of many forms of the. We call this a definite article in English, in Greek. <coughs> Unlike English, the reason why there's so many definite articles in different forms is because the form of the article tells you the case of the noun that it comes before. So if the noun is the subject of the sentence, the article's written differently. If it's the direct object, the article's written differently. If it's the indirect object, it's written differently again. If it's the possessive, it's written differently again. If it's singular, it's written one way. If it's plural, it's written another way. If it's feminine, it's written one way. If it's neuter, it's written another way. So there's a couple dozen ways of writing the word the, but this form of the matches this ending on the word logos. The endings also change to match the article. This tells us that this is in what we call the nominative case, which is the subject. So this word logos, word is functioning as subject or nominative in Greek. So we literally would translate this as uh, the and then word, singular. Okay, so in beginning was the word. Fine, pretty straightforward. And then it says uh, chi, which is a Greek word for and or but, probably means here and, and ho logos, so we already saw that. That means and the word, which is functioning how? It's very important as the subject. The nominative case <coughs> was pros, meaning to, for, or in the direction of, was. And then this word, ton, uh, theon. Now, this is the word for God. But based upon this article and the ending of this word, now you don't need to read Greek to see this, but this looks like an OS, right? That's the nominative, singular. This one that looks like an OV, which is actually the English equivalent of ON, is the object case. We call this the accusative. So it's the object of the noun or object of the subject. So in beginning was the word and the word was. Now in Greek it would be the God, but that sounds awkward. So we usually just translate this as God. Okay, and I'm getting really low down here. So... <clears throat> What I'm going to do is I'm going to come back up to the beginning because this this last phrase that's very important. So you guys got all this. So I'm going to go back up to the beginning. It's all coming off. <coughs> and then it says, Kai and, this is key now, Theos, which is in what case? It's the subject case. God was the 
logos. Okay. So this says, and God was the word. <coughs> now, in Greek, there's no such thing as an indefinite article. In English, an indefinite article, to remind you from high school, is a or an. That's an indefinite article. So if you say the window, you're being very definitive. It's definite. If you say a window, it could be any window in the room or anywhere, right? So it's indefinite. In Greek, if you want to push something in the direction of indefinite, you just you don't have an article. There's no such thing as an a or and. It's just implied. But if you want to say the, you add one of your articles. It could be ton, it could be ho, it could be two, it could be ton, it could be te. There's a whole bunch of them. And they all match up with the gender and the case and all that of the word. So what Jehovah's Witness scholars do, none of whom have ever studied Koine Greek, say, no, this means there's no article. So this says, and a God was the word. Okay. The problem is this is a total violation of the Greek language. In the Greek language, there's this little rule. When a verbal form of a word, like was, joins two nouns together. Notice, again, you don't even have to read Greek to see this. Notice the endings are the same. Okay? Os, os. That says that both of those words, theos and logos, are in the nominative case, meaning they're functioning as the subject. They are singular, not plural. And they actually happen to both be male, which isn't really all that important, but they are. And so when you have two nouns that are joined by a verbal form, you only need one article to govern both. And you can put that article anywhere you want. So you could erase the article from here and put it up here. You could erase the article from here, put it back down here. You could put the article in front of both words if you want. It doesn't matter. Because this is a case of a subject and a predicate. So what it's saying is that this God that is being spoken of as the subject of this phrase is in fact this word. And this word, in this case, has the in front of it. So then you must translate this as the word was literally the God. You, you can't put a. It's, it's against all conventions of Greek. The rule not that you care is called Granville Sharp's rule, where if two nouns are joined by a verbal form and they're both in the same case, same gender, you only need one article to govern both. But Jehovah's Witnesses say, no, you guys all screwed it up, and it's the word was ah, God. And this is a huge, huge theological issue. You say this all, you can form two denominations over one little letter if you just delete it or mistranslate it. So the interesting thing about the Jehovah's Witnesses, and I've challenged them on this, I've had at my door, I've said, I want you to explain to me, if you're such a smart, smart, uh, smart aleck, why you have put a God in the New World Translation. Well, that's how it's supposed to be. Okay, then, you have to prove it to me. The onus is on you. Tell me about Granville Sharp's rule. Mm -hmm. So this guy goes back and he gets his convenient little 
a Greek dictionary published by the Watchtower Society and brings it back and tries to read this stuff to me. And I said, that's garbage. Who wrote it? This guy, this guy, and this guy. What are their credentials? They have none. So the shocking thing is, is because the Jehovah's Witness was so desperate to propagate their doctrine and John 1.1 was a major issue, they actually got a... This is historical fact. They got a bunch of guys together that had never studied Koine Greek and came up with a new translation. A couple guys with university classical Greek, which is a different kind of Greek. And some guys with none and came up with a trans, a, what we call a spurious translation, an inaccurate translation to try to validate their argument. The problem is they don't validate it because even if you throw John 1, 1 out, you have all sorts of other passages in the Bible where Jesus is named by names that are reserved for God, where he's accused of claiming to be God and lets the allegation stands and goes to the cross for it, where people like Thomas said, my Lord, my God, and Jehovah's Witnesses say, well, he was just saying, oh, my God. <laughs> That's unattested to in ancient times. That's a modern colloquialism. That's unattested to in, in the ancient world. So you have all of it, these attempts to uh, subvert the truthfulness of Scripture and to twist it. And that's where I get a little hot under the collar. It's one thing to look at a text and for you to interpret one way and me to interpret it the other way, it's quite a different thing to actually twist the text to accommodate your doctrine. Add words, subtract words, violate principles of translation, get incompetent people to do the translating. And this we should not tolerate. And we should demand an explanation. And I have done so, and because of that, I guess I'm blacklisted because I haven't been back to my door. Okay? And it's not about pulling rank or trying to be smart, but... <coughs> If you know something to be true and you have some skill in something and someone's trying to tell you otherwise, it's actually okay to challenge them. And somebody's got to do it because otherwise they go from door to door putting words in the mouth of Orthodox Christians and lying about the nature of Christianity. So, in theory, the Jehovah's Witnesses and Orthodox Christians believe in the inerrancy and accuracy of Scripture. In practice, they twist it. And you should challenge them on that. Interestingly, they would teach <clears throat> that only the Watchtower Society can correctly interpret for you the book of the Bi the books of the Bible, and that the Bible cannot be properly understood by individuals without the help of the organization through which God works, which interestingly is the Watchtower Society. Now, we, of course, do believe that we benefit from the interpretive skills of one another and that God gifts certain people to be teachers, preachers in the church. We, we, we understand all that. But we, above all of that, highlight the doctrine of uh, illumination, that every believer is a priest before God and dwelt by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is more than me, more than your Sunday school teacher, more than your life group leader the primary catalyst to help you understand and digest scripture. And this is critical. This is very critical in the life of a church. We believe in the priesthood of believers and in the, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit to empower the human mind to understand truth. doesn't mean that we can't make mistakes. We do. It <clears throat> doesn't mean that we don't augment that with teachers and the wisdom of the church. But to say, no, this organization has the handle on everything that is true and right, that's historically one of the marks of cultism. Ben?
Yeah, and they, they, they do. They limit it to um, uh, papal pronouncements mostly uh, where, you know what, I, I would say it, I, I wouldn't say it's, it's, it's similar, but it's somewhat dissimilar. In Roman Catholicism, in the Jehovah's Witnesses, it's more about one organization interpreting the Bible for you. So did I say in Roman Catholicism? Okay, sorry, in the Watchtower Society, it's an organization interpreting the Bible for you. In the Roman Church, it's the Bible over here, being interpreted by the Pope, but also bishops, priests, and the local believer. But the, what the, the, the uh, Pope is doing is he's creating a new strand of revelation in the church. Pronouncements, papal bulls, edicts of excommunication, new truths, Vatican pronouncements, whatever it might be. So he's sort of adding a body over here. Now, in, in practice, in some ways, that's what the Jehovah's Witnesses are doing as well. But they try to come across as a little more purist and then it's, no, it's, it's Bible alone. Whereas a Catholic would feel very comfortable saying it's Bible plus tradition. But there is that uh, element there too, where somebody out there has to help you and you're basically incompetent by yourself to understand God or truth. Right? So here, here are some uh, quotes from Watchtower Publications. Here's one from 1981. Unless we are in touch with this channel of communication that God is using, we will not progress along the road of life no matter how much Bible reading we do. Well, that's pretty blunt. Back in 1957, God has arranged for the word to speak independently or to shine forth life-giving truths by itself. It is through his organization that God provides this light. 1967, the Bible is an organizational book and belongs to the Christian congregation as an organization, not to individuals, regardless of how sincerely they may believe that they can interpret the Bible. The Bible cannot be properly understood without Jehovah's visible organization in mind. Dave. So the organization is run by the president, and there would be like a, a cabinet of... Uh, individuals that would work for the Watchtower Society, sort of bishop-like people who would uh, guard the doctrine and practice of the church. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And... Um, <clears throat> Obviously, the, the major problem we have is what that does is that substitutes the organization for the Bible itself. And I suppose substitutes the organization for the Holy Spirit as well. So it's not that we just... The, the church has an organizational dimension. I mean, again, I, I don't want you to go away thinking that, you know, there's no need for the church. You can just take your Bible off into a closet and you're going to come out with only orthodox truth because you prayed a lot. Um. We do believe in accountability. We do believe in interdependence. We also believe that large groups can be wrong. Small groups can be wrong. Individuals can be wrong. But that's our problem on a theological level, on a purest theological level. We do believe the Holy Spirit can illumine the Christian's mind to truth and that the truth can be rightly divided. Whereas on a theological level, the Watchtower Society says, no, the, the organization does that. That's where that ability resides so it's 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 a it's a drastically different uh perspective on this matter 
The New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures is the best translation of the Bible and should be used whenever disagreement takes place between translations. So you could read the KJV or otherwise, but the world, the New World Translation is the uh, best one. So in 1950, uh, they wrote in, um, in, in the cover of the New World Translation, the Greek Scriptures, the endeavor of the New World Bible Translation Committee has been to avoid the snare of traditionalism. And then later, uh, outstanding among Bibles is the New World Translation of the Christian Greek Scriptures, accurately, uniformly, clarity, and up-to-date language mark this excellent work. Bible aids without equal make this ind- indispensable help to sincere uh, searching students of God's Word. <coughs> now, uh, we uh, know that translations throughout the years have been dogged with problems, um, and that they are uh, always always to be uh, compared to and translated from Greek and Hebrew texts as best as we can. And uh, really, I, I would suggest to you that not only is it dangerous to uh, believe that one translation is somehow the be-all and end-all for all of time, and I would say that to King James' only advocates as well, but um, the more fundamental problem is a New World Translation is is crappy to use the kind of language we yeah theological terms yeah the trinity uh they disagree with the trinity of course they believe that um uh god's only true name is um jehovah and that uh god should only be called by this name um there's kind of two things going on here, by the way. Um, the consonants here are Germanized or Germanic forms of the more anglicized uh, letters Yahweh. <clears throat> now, we actually don't even know how Yahweh is supposed to be said. Um, Hebrew is written the other way, of course. So in Hebrew, you would just write Yahweh. So this little thing here called a Yod is uh, the equivalent of a Y, or if you're German, a J. And then the He is the equivalent of an H. This thing's called a Vav or a Wow, depending whether you're an Englishman studying Hebrew or a German studying Hebrew. And so you could go with W or uh, a V. I was taught W, but I, I know people that sometimes say Vav as well. And then this hey is same as the second letter there. So that's all we have. And we switch it around. So we reorganize it in English. So it goes this direction. And then basically we just sort of have to guess at what the proper vowels were, because in Hebrew, uh, what happens is all words are built on three consonants, and then they add other things around it. So this is kind of like a, a consonant that came into being later. It's, a, it's actually written a little bit smaller than this. It's usually written about that size. And they basically add um, dots, and they could look like a little hat, a dot, three dots. There's a number of different ones in and around the letters, and so you basically read like Yahweh. You kind of read up and down. 
So when someone learns Hebrew, like in like grade school today, they, they add all the little vowels. But when you become good at it, they just delete it. So if you're reading like the Jerusalem Post in Hebrew, there's no vowels in it. It's just consonants. And what happened is uh, the Bible, when it was being, uh, when copies of the Old Testament were being distributed, they just didn't bother adding the vowels for two reasons, because it was mostly adults reading it. And because God's name was supposed to be so holy that they encouraged people not to even say it. So when they read this, they would instead say Adonai or Adonai, which means Lord. So you'd be reading Yahweh or Yahweh, whatever the vowels are supposed to be, but you'd say Adonai, which means Lord. You'd substitute what you're reading for this other word. So what the Jehovah's Witnesses basically did is they went with the Germanized forms of the consonants and they stripped the vowels out of Adonai and they sprinkled them between the German consonants and that's how they came up with Jehovah. And um, modern scholars, whether you're Jewish, Christian, or just a secular guy that studies Hebrew, think that probably these are the vowels that were originally in it. We don't know that for sure. Yah is the short form, they or way. So we generally say Yahweh. And uh, as best as we can tell, this is the uh, ancient purest name for God, but God also reveals himself by Adonai, by Elohim, by El Shaddai, El Elyon, by a lot of other names. But for Jehovah's Witnesses, it's very important to stick with this word and this word only, and they've actually named their churches uh, after this. You know, the Kingdom Hall of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. Uh, no, no. The word Jehovah was used before Charles Taze Russell was ever born. You know, it's it's not a bad word. Like you could, if you're reading older commentaries, maybe that were translated from German, you're probably gonna, when you read this, Yahweh, which is called the Tetragrammaton, when you read the Tetragrammaton, you're probably gonna see Jehovah, and maybe in the last forty to fifty years, you're gonna see Yahweh, or Lord, all in large caps. So the, the Jehovah's Witnesses didn't make this word up, but they selected this Germanized version of Yahweh, or Yahweh, and adopted it as the only correct name for God. Does that make sense? So it's just interesting to know the origin of it, because they will argue with you that this is the only true name for God. In fact, it's just German and English letters for Hebrew consonants, and we don't know what, what the vowels, in fact, were. But this God is a static one. He is not triune. They, they have said, quote, never has there been a more deceptive doctrine advanced than that of the Trinity. To worship God in his terms means to reject the Trinity doctrine. Nowhere in the scripture is mention even made of a Trinity the word Trinity does not appear in the Bible. Yeah, I know that. Neither does the word Jehovah. So it's one for you, one for me. What's the point? Um, they believe that Trinitarians believe in three gods. I've told you the story. I show up at my house. We had a border. We didn't have kids yet. These Jehovah's Witnesses are sitting at the table. They're telling my border that Christians believe in three gods. You can prove it. Go to the Windsor Library, blah, 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 blah. I move in, sit down, enjoy the conversation. And finally, I just tell them you're a bunch of freaking liars. You're lying. I was so mad. 
you're, t- you're going around telling people that Christians believe in three gods. We do not. Don't put words in our mouths. It's absolutely untrue. Yes, you no, we don't. Get out of my house. I kicked them out. Because they teach people things about Christianity that's not true. And that gets me really mad. It's one thing to say Christians believe that there's three gods or that there's three persons that eternally exist in one essence and it's a lie and it's untrue. Okay, disagree with us. But don't go around telling people that we believe in three gods. We do not. You're an absolute liar to say such a thing. Dela? Well, it's a, it's a German word used to describe a four consonants in the Hebrew that have no vowels. So we don't know what that word really, how it's to be translated. So it's not the same as the made-up word, the Trinity. We made up the word Trinity in order to try to capture this doctrine that we believe the Bible declares to be true but the point being is that there's lots of instances where we make up words to try to describe a truth or try to understand a name and it doesn't in and of itself mean that that name or that word is bad um you know if we 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 talk about a rapture well that the word rapture is supposed to capture a concept in the bible the bible doesn't have to use the word rapture in order for the word rapture to be a good word so uh, the point being is I, I get quite upset when people deliberately misrepresent Christianity and use that as an apologetic against us. It's wrong, it's disingenuous, and it should be dealt with in the most blunt of ways. Especially people that are going around propagating that kind of garbage when it's a lie. So, pardon me? Well, in some ways it is. So we need to be careful about that too. It's one, it's one thing to be ignorant. So if I say Jehovah's Witnesses believe this and Rob's sitting here and he's a Jehovah's Witness elder, he's like, actually, that's not what we believe. Well, okay, I was wrong. Sorry, Rob, tell us what you believe. But if I say, no, that's what you believe and he's a Jehovah's Witness elder, says, no, that's not what we believe. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. And then I go next door and I tell my neighbor, this is what Jehovah's Witnesses believe when this Jehovah's Witness elder has told me that it's not. That's a lie. And that's, that's where the conversation started off in a cordial, gracious way and ended with me saying, get out of my house. I want you out of my house right now because you're a bunch of liars. Get out. Anyway, <clears throat> I tend to get a little worked up around you guys. <laughs> Bring out the worst in me. So we'll, we're going to wind up there tonight <clears throat> and uh, hope to see you again next week. I think we got about two weeks left before this course ends, so... Hopefully we'll be able to make it through most of the uh, the information.